0: Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Now, it's Gabe time. Gabe Coon. Gabe Kuhn was one of the great little trivial nuggets in all football bios. His grandfather was the inventor of the Easy
1: Bake Oven. <laughs> Like a boss. The best lineman on the radio. Well, the only lineman on the radio. It's game time. Game time. We're ready. The Gabe Kuhn
0: Show. 92.9 FM ESPN.
1: Welcome in Wednesday, July 19th, 2023. It's time for the Gabe Kuhn Show. I am your host, Gabe Kuhn on Twitter. At G underscore Coon71, former Memphis Tiger Offensive Lineman. I am alongside the executive producer of the show of the Gabe Coons. That would be Connor Dunning on Twitter at C Dunning929. Connor, um, how did you uh brave the elements last night? I know you sent me a picture. I feel uh feel bad. You did have a you had a branch that fell through the roof. You're gonna have we, to get we, some roofing professionals. We now. got uh,
2: my man Jake Kraft coming out later tonight. Shout he's out. gonna he's gonna check out the roof. Shout out to Jake. Yeah, we got uh, we got hit last night, man. We didn't make it through unscathed, but to be quite honest, it could have been much much worse. I'm counting my blessings at the end of the day. Of course, Uh, I'll take it.
1: It was it was a smaller branch, but it still broke through. It certainly broke through. The
2: giant branch uh, barely missed the house, and if that happened, did you
1: did you keep power?
2: Sheesh. Uh, we did. I uh, I think that we are one of the places that lost power so frequently that they probably fixed it.
1: <laughs> I, well, it so. I, am, I am a frequent loser of power, and I lost power. I didn't even – you know I live very close to the station. Yeah, we both do. Left. By the time I got home, it was already out. We're Frustrating us out, man. 200,000 customers without power. Don't get me going, Gabe. I've never
2: cussed on air. I don't But wanna, if you get me going, I'm, I'm going to cuss. going
1: I'm not going to get going too hard. Um, but there's got to be a damn better way. Yes. There's got to be it's better silly. things to spend our money on. We have to try to get something. The infrastructure in this city has to be better. And it starts with MLGW. I, it's When we look at their, their, their tree trimming and what they have not been able to meet over the past decade plus in tree trimming – just going out and cutting down loose branches so this doesn't happen consistently. But if you're without power, I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I was one as well. It's, it's frustrating as hell. There's got to be a better way forward. And sometimes, I saw John Martin put this out there. It feels uninhabitable. I had to, I had to get gas yesterday. The first three gas stations I went to around the house were without power. So I couldn't fill up with gas fourth finally got it then I had to go get food because you know our 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 stove is not going to work we don't have we don't have gas. so I went to four restaurants around our area, finally went to a fifth at Huey's and got got me and my fiance a, a burger. so four gas stations, five different locations to go get food before I could get gas and get food yeah That's it's insane it's a
2: it's a really bad situation' it's insane and you know. I have seen a lot of people out there weirdly holding water for MLGW or they're throwing out straw man arguments. And here's the thing. We are citizens of this city. We have lived here for a very long time. We pay our taxes. We pay our MLGW bill every single month. The fact that it goes out every single time. It rains. This it's was not. The,
1: it's not. This just, was this was a thunderstorm listen, and windstorm. I understand. Eighth eighth worst outage in MLGW recorded history.
2: I understand that that those winds were sixty to 70 miles an hour. Understood. Even, but when a dog farts around a generator, <laughs> the power still goes out. So My dog it's sneezes. not. It's not just when it's sixty to 70 mile an hour winds. It's every single time it rains. Yes, every single I, time it's windy. I have lost power when it was sunny and seventy-five out because the wind was a little was a little bit crazy. It's ridiculous at this point. And the people that are out there on Twitter, on social media, doing the whole Old like, water, "Well, yeah. what about the funds? What about this? What about this? What about the 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 trucks that have gotten robbed?" Those are such red herring, straw man arguments. Yes. So I'm we should you. just rot? So we should yeah. just not do anything to improve our city? Because we should, we this is, it is what it is. And, and, this is what it's going to be. And, it's it, going to be hard and, to and do, it, so we shouldn't do it. Shut up. Usu-
1: it's usually telling folks to not feel it's ridiculous. a certain type of way, to feel annoyed by the current situation. You should be annoyed by the current situation. It's, it's brutal. It's brutal. And I'm going to use my voice to be able to tell you that. I know everybody probably, a lot of people share that sentiment. But yeah, those red herring, straw man arguments that have been thrown out there, I don't, I don't pay much attention to them. Um, I did get lucky though. I have a uh, went to a wedding last weekend. I was a groomsman in, and I am about a block away from their house. They're on, they're on their honeymoon. So I, I ended up finding a, finding a. A place to say with some power and some AC. That's
2: nice. That was nice. But I hope everybody I, I do else is braving a, the elements. A side. quick shout-out, though, to Chelsea Chandler, because MOGW tried to come out last night and be like, this was a sudden storm. No, it wasn't. We knew about the storm. Yep. It's doing the whole this is a sudden, we didn't see it coming, all of this stuff. What's bothering me is that they, they always – brag about or they try to send out that they have hired all of these crews to do the tree trimming and do all these fixes. Why why don't we do it before the storms hit? Why are we doing all of this after the
1: damage has been done? There is years and years worth of statistics that tell us that MLGW has not gone about their tree trimming the way they're supposed to. They have not met their goal in 10 to 15 years plus. That's bad. They should meet the goal every year. But they don't. And if you're frustrated, you should be frustrated. But I'll move off of that. Three hours of talk on the way, courtesy of 92.9 FM, ESPN, and yours truly. We're going to hop into overreaction, not an overreaction, have some SEC Media Days discussion, some Memphis football discussion, some Grizzlies discussion to get to on the show today. Pac-12 media rights are not going to be announced at Pac-12 Media Day this Friday. So when are they going to be announced? I'll uh, I'll tell you. The situation is bleak, but there is an explanation. There is an explanation and I'll try to give that to you. Uh, Atlanta Journal-Constitution, have you seen this stuff, Connor? We talked about the Atlanta Journal-Constitution and the University of Georgia Athletic Association trying to get a retraction of a story they wrote about, uh, you know, abuse of women and violence with women. It has gotten retracted, and the, the investigative reporter who's been with the Atlanta Journal-Constitution for 25 years has been fired for crossing Kirby Smart in Georgia, Very interesting story. We'll try to break that down on the show today. As far as guests are concerned, Jeff Calkins in his normal time slot at 5 o'clock. Ty Richardson, who's live on the ground, boots on the ground, in Nashville for SEC Media Days. Nick Saban Day. Um, he's from ESPN Arkansas. Had him on very briefly last week. We're going to get an extended talk with him at 6 o'clock about what he has seen. What he has been able to see this week so far. Only one more day of SEC Media Days. And then the Blitz, of course, at 630 uh, we have some ESPN news. Daryl Darryl Morey speaking up on James Harden. And uh, small talk today. Christopher Nolan, top five. Barbenheimer, fast approaching on Friday. Uh, we gave you Margot Robbie yesterday. Christopher Nolan will be today. Now, without further ado, let's just go ahead and hop into it. Overreaction, not an overreaction. Now, it's overreaction or not an overreaction. We are... That's crazy. Geo, On the Gabe Kujo from
2: 92.9. As you said, it's Alabama Nick Saban Day at SEC Media Days. We do know that LSU is coming off an SEC West title, but my question to you is, Alabama will retake the crown this year. Overreaction or not an overreaction?
1: Um, <laughs> Overreaction. Uh, it's crazy to think that I am here and – to a certain extent, doubting Nick Saban. I'll get to that in a moment. But Saban made an adjustment this offseason. They didn't win last year. They lost really close games, and they didn't make the SEC title game. The adjustment was, let me go hire Tommy Reese from Notre Dame, try to run the ball a little more. Let me hire Kevin Steele, who was at Auburn previously, who had some good defenses. He spent a year last year at Miami that was not so great, but he's a good defensive coordinator, been around the block several times in the SEC. I'm going to start with the least of the problem areas. I think defense will be fine, ultimately. Um, defensively, they have so many guys still. Uh, you talk about Malachi Moore. Uh, he he had a really good freshman year, was not able to really uh, get things going the past two years, but he's back, back healthy, comfortable. Uh, the secondary should be really, really good. on Arnold's still there. Uh, they, they're just loaded in the secondary. Jaheim Otis is solid up front. You still have Chris Braswell, and you have – um, certain guys there around the edges that, that can really go make something happen without, without a, a Will Anderson being there. Dallas Turner is, is a guy who ultimately will be an NFL draft pick relatively high is my guess. So ultimately I think they'll be fine. I have more questions about the other side of the ball, but Kevin Steele is back in his comfort zone. He was at Auburn from 2016 to 2020. And if you'll remember, his first two years, as far as scoring defense was concerned, he was seventh in year one, 11th in year two. But, even though I feel pretty confident about what that defense will be, I think it's reasonable to feel differently. When you look at Kevin Steele and his full body of work the past, you know, five to seven years, those numbers fell off after the first two years at Auburn. He went 14th in scoring defense, 17th in scoring defense, 38 in his final year in scoring defense at Auburn. Then, had some issues there at Tennessee, he was interim, uh, interim head coach, and then at Miami, Last season, when in the ACC you thought Miami would run it, we saw that that was not the case. 69th in scoring defense last year at Miami. There is a real fair level of skepticism, even on the defensive side of the ball, that's fair to have. But my assumption is, ultimately, you have a lot of experienced talent, you have an experienced coordinator, it'll all work out. It is strange, though, to see all of the conversations last year about Pete Golding as the defensive coordinator and how bad they were. They couldn't keep up with the Tennessee wide receivers. They were still a top 20 unit in scoring defense. And now you bring in Kevin Steele, who was actively better or actively worse the past few years, and we'll see how it works. I do think it'll be fine, though. Um, I can't even say that remotely about this offense, though, right? Tommy Reese takes over at age 31. Not a lot of experience. He just got done with college football, guys. Was he fine at Notre Dame? He's fine. Wasn't great, but he's 31 years old. And then we look at the quarterback situation. Jalen Milrow turned the ball over five times and not a lot of time last year and not a lot of games that he played. Ty Simpson has never played a... a, a it never started in college. Tyler Buckner they brought in because neither of those guys were giving them what they want in spring. We look at this run for Alabama that they've had on quarterbacks. Jalen Hurts, then Tua then Mac Jones, then Bryce Young. They have not had to worry about this for a long time, and they're worrying about it. And let's talk about the weapons. Wide receivers, they're hinging on a JUCO recruit. Granted, he was the number one JUCO recruit at wide receiver, Malik Benson, but he has never played a D1 snap, much less SEC ball. He's been at Hutchinson Community College. And then you have Ja'Cory Brooks. Ja'Cory Brooks is a solid receiver, caught for about 700 yards last year, uh, eight touchdowns. But in the end of the day, I remember two years ago, well, he was still young at that point, so we, we have to have a qualifier. I remember two years ago when Jameson Williams got hurt, Cory Brooks couldn't step up in the national championship. He couldn't make it happen. He has not shown wide receiver one ability. Now, guys like Kobe Prentice could come along. There's there's some guys down the down the list that could make something happen. But are you trusting it off top? And then you hear people, okay, well, Alabama's trying to, go back to the to the age of Nick Saban running things with the guys like Blake Sims and Jake Coker. They don't need all those weapons on the outside and a quarterback. And usually the sentiment is, well, it's okay. Tommy Reese runs the ball. He will pound the rock. Their running back situation, Jace McClellan taking over as a lead back. I've never seen him be a lead back. Justice Haynes is a freshman, true freshman that they're going to try to bring along. <laughs> Things have to happen, right? You have to make sure you see it before you believe it, and I don't know if I believe it yet. And at the offensive line position, they're replacing left tackle, left guard, and right guard from an offensive line that wasn't by any stretch of the imagination great by their standards. That was not a good offensive line last year. They didn't run the ball all that well. Uh, They struggled at times to keep Bryce Young upright. So there's lots of reason for skepticism, and I have that skepticism. I think LSU, if I'm picking, LSU's at the top of the SEC West, but here's the kicker. 194-27 and at Alabama, six national championship uh, all-time, three national championships in eight years, six appearances in the game in the last eight years. Nick Saban just does it, right? And this is all while dealing with, you know, he had, he had to replace OCDC. This is all while dealing with a revolving door in his career at Alabama of talented coaches. He's had to replace all these guys. Uh, Jim McElwain, Lane Kiffin, Jeremy Pruitt, Kirby Smart, Mario Cristobal, Billy Napier, Brian Dayball, Steve Sarkeesian, Bill O'Brien, Pete Go- Just keep going down the list. He's had to do this before, and it's worked out in his favor. So it's reasonable to think it won't work out, but who in the hell with a reasonable mind is willing to project that? No one is really the answer. That's who. I think LSU will finish at the top of the SEC West, but my confidence level in Alabama not being able to take them off top, it's not all that high. It's not all that high. I, I, I'm very curious how this all works out, but it's, 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 it's a very telling year for Nick Saban
0: Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.
1: In the latter parts of his career, this is going to tell us what the end of his career will be, I think, this particular season. So let's watch, let's learn, let's take it in. No notes. No notes. (laughs) I hear you, so let's move on then. Well
2: done. Moving on. Staying with college football, though, let's get to some Memphis football. This is going to be the year Ryan Silverfield has a breakthrough. Overreaction or
1: not an overreaction? (sighs) Um... Obviously there's gonna be some qualifiers along the way, but overreaction. I, I listen, when when you look at the the schedule, it's not hard. It's not. It, 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 there should be seven built in wins, potentially eight. That should be the benchmark. I've talked about that. Um but based on what we've seen the past two years, how are we going to project that? How are we going to project that they're going to take over the AAC, even with the new AAC, in, in, in sort of the situation they're in right this second? I do think they did some good things around the edges. They bring in Simeon Blair, Malik Feaster. Uh, Joel Williams is still there from Kentucky in the secondary. Like, they have a good defense. They have more Bodies up front, Derek Hunter was a really good Juco recruit. Uh, Josh Ellison from Oklahoma. You have a lot more depth on the defensive side of the ball, but offensively, what the hell are we looking at right now? Yes, it helps to have a vet signal caller. It, it, it helps, like hell, to have a guy like Seth Hennigan, who's been around the block, was a coach's son. He understands what's expected of him in the offense in particular. But we haven't seen a run game help him. With how good he's been, his TD and T being solid, throwing for a, a fair amount of yards. We haven't seen that offense really get going because the run game's been miserable. And offensive line wise, yeah, you bring in some bodies. You bring in guys from LSU and Arkansas and AM. Well, the AM guy, uh, uh, Chris Morris, for, you, for those that didn't know, hopped in the transfer portal today, former four star recruit um, from the city that went to AM out of high school, so he he's no longer part of the fold. But you bring in these guys that are bigger, that are SEC bodies, but how does that all mesh together? Are you going to get that run game going? Jay Ducker or Sutton Smith, who's going to step up? And then your top four receivers, we can we can argue about, you know, Eddie Lewis and how good he was ultimately, Javon Ivory, how good he was ultimately, but there's no guarantee that Toski Dove, Damir blank from from Toledo is going to step in and absolutely set the world on fire. So there is a. it's hard for me to project that this team is going to be at the top of the AAC. Now, when you look at the AAC as a whole, Tulane, right there. Michael Pratt, You know, they, they have a lot of returning bodies. Willie Fritz is still there. Tulane is picked at the top. Then there's that group of UTSA, SMU, and Memphis. Who's going to make it out? I think it's reasonable to believe that the, the Tigers could make it all the way up to third, second, uh, maybe press Tulane at least a tad bit. But I think they're in that second-tier group, even in the new conference. But I still think baseline, as far as the win total is concerned, you got to get to eight or nine. got to get to eight or nine. Because I think this fan base is very hungry to get back to where it was under Mike Norvell. Those peaks are very high. You can't hold anybody to a cotton bowl appearance. That's not fair. But you have to get back on the eight-win trade. You have to. Or I feel like this fan base, you'll lose more.
2: I agree with everything there. No notes. No notes. Moving on. (laughs) Summer League is gone, but we aren't done with Grizzlies discussions. The rotation talking points have revolved around Kenneth Lofton Jr., Jake LaRavia, and David Roddy. With that, there's one guy going relatively undiscussed, and that's Vince Williams. So my question to you, Vince Williams Jr. should be more prominently talked about in Grizzlies rotation discussions. Overreaction or not an overreaction?
1: Um, since you haven't had notes, what do you think? Overreaction, not an overreaction. I'm going to say not an overreaction. I agree. So I don't think answer. it. I don't think it's
2: an overreaction. I think Vince Williams Jr. Um, in summer league was really impressive, and I tend to agree with people like Jeff and Harrington talking about how if he wasn't injured in those games and he was able to play a full summer league, he would probably be the guy we were talking about most coming out of summer league, other than Kenny Lofton Jr. I think that. You know, Jake Laravia showed signs of improvement. He did only shoot thirty-two percent from three, though. I do think that that if you remove the game where he just shot terribly from three, it looks a little bit better. When he missed, when he was like three for twelve, that's a, that's a rough game. That's a rough game. But you know, I was really impressed by by Vince Williams. I really was. Yeah. His defense, his three and D potential. He was taking care of the basketball in a lot better way than he did previously. He looked to be playing within himself. That was one of the criticisms of his game: is that sometimes he gets a little. Uh, you know, squirrely. He gets a little excited on the basketball court, but he really looked within himself and like a, a guy that could contribute to a team.
1: Yes, he, he absolutely did. Um, I think when we talk about summer league and guys that could potentially come along, the tired talk, you know, tired, wired. Tired talk is Kenneth Lofton Jr., Jake Laravia, and David Roddy. I think the wired talk here is Vince Williams Jr. When you look at what he was able to accomplish, yeah, he had some injuries, and he wasn't able to play every game. When he played, they were undefeated, 4-0. He affected winning in Summer League. Now, it's Summer League, so, like, how much is the is the push to win? How much do people really want to win those games? Are they just trying to prove themselves? He did affect winning. And when you look at his statistics, again, 4-0 when he played in games, 14 points per game, 8 rebounds per game. He's a hell of a rebounding wing. Um... Uh, one and a half steals per game. You see the ability to go disrupt. He's a pretty good on-ball defender, too, and he gives a lot of energy. Uh, he played 22 minutes per game, and he was 11 for 26 from three, 42.3% in summer league. He's 6'6", 205. If you want a wing that can you you could just sort of put in there play within himself, be comfortable about it. I feel like Vince Williams Jr. is very deserving of a shot. Now, he's on a two-way, and they don't really hold him very high in the grand scheme of guys they're trying to develop. They hold Jake LaRavia, Zaire Williams, um, David Roddy way higher. But Vince Williams Jr., of all the things that I learned coming out of Summer League, I learned about him the most. I learned about his makeup. And I feel like this is a guy going into the future, they need to give serious consideration to maybe giving him some run on the big club. He, he, I think he's shown the ability to be a a piece, a good fitting piece in the rotation for the Grizzlies. Does that ultimately come to fruition? We know NBA regular season is not summer league. We know NBA playoffs is not summer league. Does, does it ultimately work? I don't know. But considering what you're doing and your, your need for a 3-and-D type wing, a guy who can defend, a guy that can play within himself, I feel like Vince Williams Jr. can certainly fit that mold.
2: I, just, I feel like every single time we get eyes on Vince Williams, we always are pleasantly surprised by his game. And like I said, this summer league, it seemed like he improved in the areas that you were hoping he would improve in. His three-point shooting is really interesting, yes. man. He I know he only he didn't play very many games for the G League team, but he, you know, 45% for 3 is not that's not nothing. That's not nothing. And then his rebounding ability, his defensive potential, I I feel like they need to take a look at him. And I think one of the best trends of the NBA within the last few years is that these diamonds in the rough from the G League or getting them late in the draft. These guys can have real impacts on an NBA yes. roster if you give them an opportunity.
1: If you want check marks that you wanted from Vince Williams Jr. out of a second-round pick, right? You're not expecting some, all, some ridiculous offensive uh, explosion from a guy like that. You want him to shoot the three ball relatively well. He did that well in summer league. You want him to give effort and run the floor. He did that really well, so you can check that off. Um, you you want to see a guy who defensively can be disruptive and have good on-ball perimeter defense. He checked that box. It's summer league, right? It's summer league, so I don't want to put too much into it. But the amount of boxes he checked for me, game in, game out, the consistency he showed, his willingness to defer and not just put up a million shots a game—he played within himself. I yeah. enjoyed, I enjoyed the hell out of it. And I think you know, if we're if we're talking about uh, a guy who who has developed in his one year in the G League and. Uh, has come along. I think Vince Williams Jr. Is, is, is the guy we should be looking at to potentially be a dark horse to get minutes on the club the next two years. Right. To get minutes in that rotation, like real, legitimate rotational minutes. We'll, we'll see how it, how this all ages. Right, It could age poorly, but I, I like what I've seen. That's, I, that's what I'll leave it at.
2: I, I think if you look at it this way, a very simple way that you can kind of look at the summer league and Vince Williams Jr., his performance. If you took away the names from all of these guys and you looked at the stat lines, yep. He would have the second best one. Kenny would have yeah. the first one. He would have the second. I would you could argue he had the second best summer league of any of the Grizzlies.
1: Yes, but here's the thing like Kenneth Lofton Jr., you you know what to expect from him. Yeah. Like, yeah, the stat lines great. You knew going into summer league what you were going to see. He did improve
2: in the smaller areas. He
1: improved in the smaller areas, but you knew from a stat line perspective what you were going to see. Vince Williams was very unknown, and he showed, he displayed, he played four games, but the consistency there was it was massive. He
2: impacted winning.
1: He impacted it. No question. 4-0 in four games. So just just something, just just something (laughs) to keep an eye on. Something to keep an eye on. Like I said, tired wired. I think Tired is talking about Kenneth Lofton Jr. and Jake Laravia and David Roddy. I think wired. We're, we're going uh, where, where you need to perk up a little bit, get your antennas on it. It raised the eyebrows. Vince Williams Jr. That's a guy that you need to keep an eye on, no question. Now, Pac 12 media rights deal, it has been announced that it will not be announced on Friday during media days. Uh, the situation is bleak. There's no question about it. It feels like there's a lot of suitors that have not picked up those media rights. Um, but there is an explanation. And I'm going to go ahead and give you that explanation. On the other side, right here on the Gabe Kuhn Show, 92.9 FM ESPN.
0: Guests appear on the Smile Center hotline. Now back to the Gabe Kuhn Show, live
1: from the Service Master by Cornerstone Studios on 92.9 FM ESPN. It's Gabe Kuhn Show, 92.9 FM ESPN. Hope everybody's braving what has happened. With the weather, outages, MLGW's put out an update that it will take days to restore power in the city to the 200,000 people that lost power. But if you're at a radio, that means you hear us. and We'll continue to try to distract you to a certain extent um, from what's going on here in Memphis. Now, I mentioned the Pac-12 media rights deal. It's something that we've been waiting on. They opted out of their original one so they could get into negotiations. Um, Big 12 sort of beat them to the punch. Big 12 has ESPN and Fox, um, but Pac-12 is still without a home. And the most recent update from a Pac-12 source telling Heather Dinich from ESPN, the league expects to release details of its media rights deal in the near future, but it will not, it will not be announced at Pac-12 Football Media Day on Friday in Las Vegas. And that was really the biggest, Point of contention. What people wanted to really understand going into Pac-12 football media days is where the hell are these games going to be broadcasted in the future? And with that, if you actually strike a deal, you'd feel better about the Pac-12's future in college athletics and what they'll actually be. Will they be what they are now or a shell of themselves with USC and UCLA's departure? Now, John Canzano and Stuart Mandel have been, I mean, journalists, they, they've been following this and the media rights deal for some time. But it seems like at this point, there's a little bit of water carrying going on because the update from them, from those two particular sources, Stuart Mandel of The Athletic, there's new bidders involved. And that's why they have not struck a deal thus far in the Pac-12 for their media rights. I'll say this, believe that if you want. Believe that if you want. They're telling their own story. That's the truth of it. They want you to believe that there's a bunch of people lining up at the door to come get that late window, to get the Pac-12 football, basketball, to make sure it's on their network, but that's not the truth or else they would have signed a deal already. And what I'll say to the Pac-12 and and some of the people carrying the water and some of the people trying to spread this information, stop with the fake suitors, and this has to do with the presidents and everybody else involved behind the scenes in the Pac-12. Stop with the fake suitors, the fake deadlines, the fake optimism. We get it. We understand. You don't have to say words for us to get the situation is bad. Just shh. Just be quiet. Just stop. Let it be. We get the picture, and the picture is very clear. Every single one of us, at one point in our life, put on a brave face, even though even though we knew we were doomed. Right. I, I always bring back to my example, 2017, I'm in Houston. It was a big comeback. We ended up winning the, the ball game, but we ran, We had an inside zone on fourth and one. We weren't running the ball well, and directly to my left, we had an inside zone left, directly to, directly to my left was uh, was that Oliver. I put on a brave face knowing I was doomed in that situation. That's what the pac 12s doing right this second. Everyone has a situation in their life that has risen like that. Just swallow that pride, though, if you're the Pac-12, and make the best decisions you can from here. We know it's going badly. It's very clear to see. It's not hard to understand that your situation is bleak. Now, why don't they have one? Why don't they have a media rights deal in the Pac-12 yet? That's what you're asking. First of all, I think that's between George Klyavkov, their new commissioner, and God himself, why they don't have one. But I think it's a couple of things. One... And this is probably the most obvious for people. That conference, from a football revenue standpoint and getting it on TV, it's just not as compelling without UCLA and USC. Those networks see that. It's not as compelling to latch onto. And the shakiness of those schools, like you have Colorado's, you know, Rick George coming out front and saying, we're going to do what's best for us in the future. There's some shakiness there. With the school's presidents, that's keeping them from agreeing to a deal that doesn't rival the Big 12 or that does rival the Big 12. And I think ultimately, even if they agree to some type of deal, ESPN, Fox, you know, TV networks, it's not going to equal the Big 12. And some of those schools will potentially jump. Four Corner schools, Arizona, Arizona State, Colorado, Utah, have already talked about and been suited, have been. In the conversation to to join the Big 12, depending on what that money looks like, depending on what that deal looks like. Also, and I think this is probably more important to the current conversation and current state of affairs, I think most of these TV partners are overextended. ESPN has the SEC, Big 12, ACC, and at the moment, if you've been paying attention, they're making layoffs, right? They're trying to cut corners and save a little bit of money along the way. If you look at NBC, they have the Big 10 And Notre Dame and Sunday Night Football for for NFL. Fox, Big 12, Big 10, CBS, Big 10. So you're left with these small networks or smaller deals with the current networks I just mentioned. Or you go streaming. And somebody brought this up yesterday. Apple TV has been discussed in these conversations. Apple TV makes up 1% of the the sports we intake yearly. 1% at this point. Now that number would probably get boosted up if they bring in the pac 12 but if you're going with a stream, if you're going full streaming, Apple TV, Hulu, whatever it may be, right, that equals less exposure and ultimately less money. Like, again, going back to the Pac-12 presidents and everybody at the top, George Kliafkov, you can put on this brave face all you want. You can. But we get it. We get the picture. So all of the discussions about new bidders and these these suitors that are coming to the table, the deadlines you're setting for the for yourself, the optimism you're trying to put out there in the ether. Stop it. We understand. We understand. Now, this media rights deal, I think at some point, will be struck. It won't be big, and I think that will lead to movement. It'll re- lead to realignment. Colorado, Utah, Arizona, whoever it is, they could jump ship. Pac-12's in a bad spot, and it's very clear. But they're doing all they can to try to get – positive exposure around the conversation.
2: To your point, I think the sources saying that it is likely the deal is going to include a mix of streaming services and linear options means it's going to be all over the place. Yep. You know what I mean? They're not going to get that one home run deal that they were hoping for like the Big 12 did. And you to get
1: be, Apple TV and and a little bit with ESPN right, and little CBS, bit of this, a little yeah, bit of that. Yeah. It's going to be and, But those are going to be tertiary. Those are going to be way down on packages that those particular networks carry. They right. like they're not they're not going to be out front.
2: Well, and it and it continues to, you know, build into your point that at the end of the day, the fans lose out every single time something like this happens because could you imagine being at a Pac-12 school and having to have like four or five different streaming services just to watch your one team play for the entire season?
1: Mhm. That'd be frustrating. Yeah. It would be. But the 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 future, and I I get why they're trying to, you know, try to put the po- the optimism out there because the future of that conference hinges on this deal. But I don't think the deal is going to touch what the big 12 just got two point something odd billion. I just don't think it's going to get there. It's a frustrating feeling for the schools, those presidents and everything else, but we get the picture. Let's just, uh, let's stop faking. Let's stop lying to the general public about what's going on. It's very damn clear. Also yesterday, worth mentioning because San Diego state's been prominently mentioned as a uh, group of five to power five, jump group of five in the mountain West jumping into the pac 12. And they, we know what happened there. They, they had some letters that they gave to the mountain West saying they were going to withdraw. They didn't withdraw. And now the mountain West is saying, okay, you didn't withdraw. We'll invite you back in with open arms to a certain extent. San Diego state will be responsible for covering fees that the conference expensed over legal work in that letter exchange uh, with the Mountain West about their possible withdrawal. Now, San Diego State could potentially leave before June 30th, 2024, and they'd have to pay a $34 million exit fee. I can't I have a tr- I have a hard time not relating the San Diego State story to the Pac-12 like directly. Because I feel like there was probably some discussions behind closed doors between San Diego State and the Pac-12 about them getting a media rights deal and them being able to jump. The fact that San Diego State went through all of this and ultimately lands back in the Mountain West having to pay legal fees for the Mountain West, it shows me that the Pac-12 doesn't have their things together. They don't have what they want on the table, and San Diego State has to sort of be in limbo for a moment and stick with the conference and a little bit of stabilization. They may not make as much money ultimately, but they have to go stable at this moment because the Pac-12 is anything but. So <laughs> that's a that's a that's something to keep an eye on. And I, I I wouldn't I wouldn't rule out the fact, again, June 30th, 2024 uh is is sort of the deadline there. San Diego State could still leave before that date. They'd have to pay $34 million. Um I wouldn't rule out them making that jump, but a media rights deal is gonna have to be on the table before they before they do anything, before they jump from the Mountain West. Um because I think there's an argument to be had about the Mountain West being able to take over in the in the group of five. Really? In the group of five. Because I think you have a lot of relatively good schools. Boise State there at the top, Fresno State, um, and uh, uh San Diego State. Like you have you have some power there at the top, and I'm talking about football in particular. So we'll see what happens, but I think there's a there's a case to be made about them being sort of the peak of the group of five. I guess Sunbelt could make an argument. AAC I guess could still be around, but Mountain West would be sort of I, I think a lot of people would, would latch themselves onto that when it comes to football power. Wouldn't you think?
2: Yeah, I, I think so for sure. You talked you just talked about the programs there. I mean, man, this just shows how far they have fallen, hasn't it? Yeah. From from the, the glory days of the Pac
1: twelve. <sighs> Well, USC, in, and USC and UCLA taking out the LA market, it just, it murders everything when it comes to trying to get TV networks on your side. And USC is, try, is sort of back into, you know, Lincoln Riley's done a really good job with that. I think Chip Kelly's done a good job with UCLA. They only had one good, one solid year of good outcomes for those programs before they jump ship and went to the Big Ten. Big Ten made a good decision, I think, ultimately by bringing in the LA market, but the LA market getting lost by the Pac-12 is just such a—it could ultimately be a death blow for that, conf, for, that, for that conference altogether, and it seems like it is. Um, now, uh, we've talked about this. Atlanta Journal-Constitution. University of Georgia Athletic Association demanded a retraction— of a story written by Alan Judd, who's a 25-year career uh, reporter, investigative reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. But they demanded retraction of a investigative report from him about the program's handling of sexual abuse allegations. He had 11 guys involved in this. Um, and the Georgia Athletic Association said there wasn't 11 guys involved in this. You don't have all the facts straight. Today, it has been announced that the Atlanta Journal-Constitution – is going to retract to a certain extent some things about the report that was put out by Alan Judd. They issued corrections to the story that he wrote. And then I think the scariest part of this thing, Alan Judd's been fired. He's been fired by the Atlanta Journal-Constitution over the the story he wrote about sexual abuse allegations. Now, if you go and read the story that the Atlanta Journal-Constitution put out about this, um, there were 11 cases that he referred to. There was only two confirmed cases in which the athletes were named um, were accurate and newsworthy, according to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. But according to an editor's note attached to the revised version um, of the article published on Wednesday, there was generally, they said they found no instances of fabrications in the story itself. Um, as the university and the athletic Association had originally alleged. Um, But the fact that we have Alan Judd picking his fight here with the University of Georgia, they say that, you know, only two of the instances of the 11 were substantiated, but there was no fabrications. Ultimately, him losing his job, that's a scary thought for me. That's a a scary thought, ultimately. A 25-year investigative reporter has been fired over a story he wrote about the University of Georgia and Kirby Smart that they didn't take the right way. Right. It's a scary situation,
2: especially when you see a breakdown of what the corrections were. They are absolutely things that needed to be corrected. None of them were fireable offenses, in my
1: opinion. one One of the biggest corrections they had to make is there was some splice quote Right, where he put the first part of the quote and then spliced it a little bit got they, the end of the quote and that, like they he sort of put it all together in the story. That was one of their biggest points of contention. And I, I just don't know if that should rise to the, to the, that should not rise to a firing of a 25 year investigative reporter that by the way, has covered uh, numerous investigations. He exposed slumlords profiting from dangerous apartment complexes in Metro Atlanta. Um, he links suspicious deaths in the state psychiatric hospitals to neglect and abuse he helped uncover a teacher cheating scandal in Atlanta public schools. Like, this is a guy has been around for 25 years. And generally investigative reporters piss people off because they go digging around and they're trying to expose people. That's what they're doing. But it's crazy to me. Slum lords, the Atlanta public schools, psychiatric hospitals. We draw the line at Georgia football. That's where we're drawing the line with the investigation and the, and the type of reporting he does. It's just strange to me that this ended the way it did. I don't know if it rises to the level of a firing, but uh, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution in this day and age, when we just look around where we're at in journalism and media, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution probably is in the business of not losing out on being able to cover Georgia football. They want their access, and they want to be able to control that. And if Alan Judd had to be the warning shot, had to be the guy that went for them to keep that access, they were going to do it
2: right. I think the part <clears throat> about the quote that bothers me the most is that they even came out and said that connecting the sentences did not change the meaning of the quote, but the way it was presented to the readers failed to meet AJC standards. <laughs> That's what strange. the hell does that mean? That's strange. What does that mean? It was a real quote. If it doesn't change the meaning of the quote, it it just it to me it feels like you know it's worrisome that they are bending the knee to Georgia football. Now, if you want to look at it from Georgia's side, it's kind of a brilliant play because people are talking about the story about the story instead of talking and about the story.
1: I, 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 feel, I feel bad for Alan Judd in a lot of ways because I think ultimately, did he make a couple mistakes along the way? Sure. He, he messed with the wrong people in this instance. But he got fired, lost his livelihood, and by Friday, by, we, by the time we get to the weekend, we'll forget about the story altogether. It's not going to be discussed. Like, again, that, that part of it's frustrating for me. Again, I want to
2: say I do think that these things needed to be corrected the corrections needed to come out. They needed firing? To, they need to clarify yeah, of some course, of these things. of course, of course. But I do not understand the firing at all in this situation. I just, I don't see an egregious reason for him to be fired.
1: Yeah. Again, if you're going through the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's review, they said they found no instances of fabrications in the story, like the letter from the Georgia Athletic Association had said. And um, the two confirmed cases? in which the athletes were named, were supposedly, according to the Orlando Journal-Constitution, accurate and newsworthy. Yet a 25-year investigative reporter, doesn't have his job today. Strange stuff, man. Strange stuff. And I had somebody, when I was sort of talking about this earlier on Twitter, somebody said, you you come at the king, you best not miss. Sort of what it feels like. Mm -hmm. Georgia football is king in that state after winning two national championships. Kirby Smart is king. Don't mess with them the wrong way. I mean, this is the message it sends. Don't mess with them the wrong way or, or you will you will be put on blast and you may lose your livelihood. And Alan Judd, 25-year career investigative reporter, is done. Done. Because of one story. Wild. Now let's, uh, I think Jeff Calkins has some good things to say about this, and he might have a good take on it. So we'll we'll bring this up, among other things, coming up next when we bring him on. The Gabe Kunz on 92.9 FM ESPN.
0: We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof?